to Bible beginning to end, where we are reading through the scriptures one book at a time. As always, I will be offering no commentary, but we'll be asking questions along the way so that you can sit with the scriptures and really figure out what they mean on your own with God. Last time we read through Deuteronomy 1 to 4, where we've been sort of going through the journey that the Israelites have taken from Egypt up until now in this interim time before they enter the promised land. Moses is speaking to them before they get to encounter this place they've been waiting for. This section, chapter 5, starts Moses's second address, the covenant text. This is going to cover quite a few chapters in Deuteronomy, so we will just read a piece of this today and finish it up over the next few episodes. So remember that Moses is saying his final words to this new generation of Israelites before they go into the promised land. He is reminding them of what God has done, what God has said, and what God expects of them. So as we enter into this text, think about why it's important for Moses to say these things to the Israelites again. Is this a new audience than the audience who was there when the Ten Commandments were first given? Deuteronomy 5, The Principles of the Covenant, Ten Commandments for the Covenant Community. Moses called all the people of Israel together and said, Listen carefully, Israel. Hear the decrees and regulations I am giving you today, so you may learn about them and obey them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Mount Sinai. The Lord did not make this covenant with our ancestors, but with all of us who are alive today. At the mountain, the Lord spoke to you face to face from the heart of fire. I stood as an intermediary between you and the Lord, for you were afraid of the fire and did not want to approach the mountain. He spoke to me, and as I passed his words on to you, this is what he said. So pause right there. Do you remember this scene at Sinai when God gave him the Ten Commandments? Do you remember what the Ten Commandments are? And if you've read the New Testament, what does Jesus have to say about the Ten Commandments? Verse 6, I am the Lord your God, who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other God. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, 
your oxen and donkeys and other livestock, and any foreigners living among you. All your female and male servants must rest as you do. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. This is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you. Then you will live a long, full life in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely against your neighbor. You must not covet your neighbor's wife. You must not covet your neighbor's house or land, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. The Lord spoke these words to all of you assembled there at the foot of the mountain. He spoke with a loud voice from the heart of the fire, surrounded by clouds and deep darkness. This was all he said at the time, and he wrote his words on two stone tablets and gave them to me. But when you heard the voice from the heart of the darkness, while the mountain was blazing with fire, all your tribal leaders and elders came to me. They said, look, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness, and we have heard his voice from the heart of the fire. Today we have seen that God can speak to us humans, and yet we live. But now, why should we risk death again? If the Lord our God speaks to us again, we will certainly die and be consumed by this awesome fire. Can any living thing hear the voice of the living God from the heart of the fire as we did and yet survive? Go yourself and listen to what the Lord our God says. Then come and tell us everything he tells you and we will listen and obey. So pause there. What do you think of their reaction to seeing God's glory? Are there ways that we still see God's glory today? Verse 28. The Lord heard the request you made to me. And he said, I have heard what the people said to you, and they are right. Oh, that they would always have hearts like this, that they might fear me and obey all of my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. Go and tell them, return to your tents, but you stand here with me so I can give you all my commands, decrees, and regulations. You must teach them to the people so they can obey them in the land I am giving them as their possession. So Moses told the people, you must be careful to obey all the commands of the Lord your God, following his instructions in every detail. Stay on the path that the Lord your God has commanded you to follow. Then you will live long and prosperous lives in the land you are about to enter and occupy. So pause there. Why was it a good thing that they feared God? Why did God see that as something good? What does it look like to have a healthy fear of God? What does that mean? And then what does God mean when he says that if they follow his instructions in every detail, they might live a prosperous and long life? How does our relationship with God differ from the relationship the Israelites had with God. 
How is it that we are able to be in relationship with God and still make mistakes and be forgiven, and yet, despite our mistakes, still enter into a long and prosperous life? And I want to be careful with what I'm saying because I don't want you to think that I'm saying because you follow God, your life on earth will be long and prosperous and happy and you'll get all the things that you want. That's not what I'm saying. Because what does God teach us? When will we actually see the fullness of God? When will we actually see the fruits of our labors on earth? Are we promised prosperity and longevity and happiness here on earth? Or are those promises for prosperity and true fullness of God revealed in heaven? Deuteronomy 6, a call for wholehearted commitment. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will live a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, and you must commit yourself wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorsteps of your house and on your gates. So pause there. Why was it so important for people during this time, for the Israelites during this time, to literally write down the commands. And then how can we take that practice and apply it now? Is it still important for us to memorize scripture and remember what God's promises are and remind ourselves what God says to us, to talk about it with our family, to talk about it at the dinner table, etc.? Are those practices still important? Verse 10, the Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. You must not worship any of the gods of neighboring nations, for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. His anger will flare up against you and he will wipe you from the face of the earth. You must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained 
At Massa, you must diligently obey the commands of the Lord your God, all the laws and decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so all will go well with you. Then you will enter and occupy the good land that the Lord swore to give your ancestors. You will drive out all the enemies living in the land, just as the Lord said you would. In the future, your children will ask you, What is the meaning of these laws, decrees, and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? Then you must tell them, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his strong hand. The Lord did miraculous signs and wonders before our eyes, dealing terrifying blows against Egypt and Pharaoh and all his people. He brought us out of Egypt so he could give us this land he had sworn to give our ancestors. And the Lord our God commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear him so he can continue to bless us and preserve our lives as he has done to this day. For we will be counted as righteous when we obey all the commands the Lord our God has given us. So pause there at the end of Deuteronomy 6. Why is it important for the Israelites to remember and tell future generations that God is the one who brought them out of slavery? Why is it important to tell our children, or if you don't have children, people around you or people in your life, where God has brought you from? Deuteronomy 7 is called The Privilege of Holiness. What a great title that is. I want you to really think about those words and what that means before we even jump into this. God's love is a gift. The ability to be holy in God is a gift. It is a privilege. What does that mean? What does that mean for the Israelites? Okay, Deuteronomy 7 verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. These seven nations are greater and more numerous than you. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them and show them no mercy. You must not intermarry with them. Do not let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and he will quickly destroy you. This is what you must do. You must break down their pagan altars and shatter their sacred pillars. Cut down their Asherah poles and burn their idols, for you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his own special treasure. The Lord did not set his heart on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other nations, for you were the smallest of all nations. Rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you, and he was keeping the oath he had sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a strong hand from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his command. But he does not hesitate to punish and destroy those who reject him. Therefore, you must 
obey all these commands, decrees, and regulations I am giving you today. If you listen to these regulations and faithfully obey them, the Lord your God will keep his covenant of unfailing love with you, as he promised with an oath to your ancestors. He will love you and bless you, and he will give you many children. He will give fertility to your land and your animals. When you arrive in the land he swore to give your ancestors, you will have large harvests of grain, new wine and olive oil, and great herds of cattle, sheep, and goats. You will be blessed above all nations of the earth. None of your men or women will be childless, and all your livestock will bear young. And the Lord will protect you from all sickness. He will not let you suffer from the terrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all your enemies. You must destroy all the nations the Lord your God hands over to you. Show them no mercy and do not worship their gods or they will trap you. So pause there. Can a God of love and mercy feel so strongly about destroying all of these nations? Why do you think God is doing this? Is it about justice? Is it about something else? Are these other nations also a part of God's creation? Are they also made in God's image? And if so, why does God put this in here? Why does God tell the Israelites to destroy them? Were they also given the chance to know and experience God's love? Verse 17, perhaps you will think to yourselves, how can we ever conquer these nations that are so much more powerful than we are? But don't be afraid of them. Just remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all the land of Egypt. Remember the great terrors the Lord your God sent against them. You saw it all with your own eyes. And remember the miraculous signs and wonders and the strong hand and powerful arm with which he brought you out of Egypt. The Lord your God will use this same power against all the people you fear. And then the Lord your God will send terror to drive out the few survivors still hiding from you. No, do not be afraid of those nations, for the Lord your God is among you, and he is a great and awesome God. The Lord your God will drive those nations out ahead of you little by little. You will not clear them all at once. Otherwise, the wild animals would multiply too quickly for you. But the Lord your God will hand them over to you. He will throw them into complete confusion until they are destroyed. He will put their kings in your power, and you will erase their names from the face of the earth. No one will be able to stand against you, and you will destroy them all. You must burn their idols in fire, and you must not covet the silver or gold that covers them. You must not take it or it will become a trap to you, for it is detestable to the Lord your God. Do not bring any detestable objects into your home, for then you will be destroyed just like them. You must utterly detest such things, for they are set apart for destruction. So pause there at the end of Deuteronomy 7. God feels very strongly that the Israelites should not become caught up in the idolatry of these other nations. Why is that? 
And how does he tell them to avoid falling into these other ways of living? And now this is for the Israelites, but for us today, there are also many things of the world around us we're called to avoid as we live in Christ's promises. What has God given us to one, tell us what those things are? And two, help and equip us to fight those desires. Are we just following another list of rules and things that we can and cannot do? Or are we living in God's spirit and letting the spirit lead us and change the desires of our heart into the ones that match God's desires so that our nature becomes new and the things that we cling to and the things that we gravitate toward are actually becoming those things that are of God. Okay, Deuteronomy 8 is called A Call to Remember and Obey. Be careful to obey all the commands I am giving you today. Then you will live and multiply, and you will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. Just as a parent disciplines a child, the Lord your God disciplines you for your own good. So pause there. Are we learning any new information here? Are we gaining any more insight into that time of wandering, into those tests that God put the Israelites through? Why did God test them? Why did God allow the Israelites to go through some hardships? And then how also did God protect the Israelites? What do you think about discipline? What does it mean? What does God's discipline look like? And then in this passage, we hear that verse, man does not live on bread alone. Where else have you heard that? If you've read the New Testament, this might sound familiar. What does it mean? Who quotes it in the New Testament and what is he saying? Verse 6. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water, with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley, of grapevines, fig trees, and pomegranates, of olive oil and honey, 
It is a land where food is plentiful and nothing is lacking. It is a land where iron is as common as stone, and copper is abundant in the hills. When you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. So pause there. What are we learning about the promised land? What is it going to be like? And how can we compare this promised land that the Israelites will receive to our promise of heaven if we trust in God? What is heaven going to be like? How will the work that we do here on earth and the things we experience here on earth be amplified and multiplied in heaven? Verse 11, but that is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I am giving you today. Okay, pause there. I know we just paused, but let's pause again because I think that this verse is very important. It says, Beware that in your time of plenty, you do not forget the Lord. So my question to you is, what times in your life is it the easiest for you to cling to God and to hold fast to his promises? Is it the times in your life when Everything is going well. You have all that you need. You have abundance. Or is it the times in your life when you're struggling and you feel that struggle and you can really tell that you are relying on God for your daily needs? When is it easier to cling to God for you? To put it a different way, in times of abundance, are you attributing those blessings to God and recognizing that he's the one who's providing them? Or are you only reaching out to God when you need him, when you're in the depths? And I don't want you to think that there's anything wrong with reaching out to God when you're in the depths, but are we praising God in the depths? just as much as we're praising him in times of abundance? Are we reaching out and seeing our need for God in times of abundance? Are we recognizing that that need is still there, just as much as that need is there when we are in the depths and struggling? So why do you think Moses is warning the Israelites of this? to beware that you don't forget God during the plenty. Verse 12, For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock, 
He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember, the Lord your God, he is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. But I assure you of this, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. Just as the Lord has destroyed other nations in your path, you also will be destroyed if you refuse to obey the Lord your God. So pause there at the end of chapter 8 and just let it sink in about why it is important to remember God and remember the things he has done and where he has brought you from. Okay, the final chapter for today's episode is Deuteronomy 9, Victory by God's Grace. Listen, O Israel, today you are about to cross the Jordan River to take over the land belonging to nations much greater and more powerful than you. They live in cities with walls that reach to the sky. The people are strong and tall descendants of the famous Anakite giants. You've heard the saying, who can stand up to the Anakites? But recognize today that the Lord your God is the one who will cross over ahead of you like a devouring fire to destroy them. He will subdue them so that you will quickly conquer them and drive them out just as the Lord has promised you. After the Lord your God has done this for you, don't say in your hearts, the Lord has given us this land because we are such good people. No, it is because of the wickedness of the other nations that he is pushing them out of your way. It is not because you are so good or have such integrity that you are to occupy their land. The Lord your God will drive these nations out ahead of you only because of their wickedness, and to fulfill the oath he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You must recognize that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land because you are good, for you are not. You are a stubborn people. Okay, so pause there at the end of that section. None of these verses said the actual word, grace. But what did we learn about God's grace in this section anyway? Why is this section called Victory by God's Grace? What does grace mean? What did Moses say is the reason God is bringing them into the promised land and giving the Israelites victory over these other nations? Was it because of something the Israelites did? Was it because they were so great? Or was it despite their shortcomings, God still fulfills his promises? Grace is going to be a huge theme throughout the Bible, especially in the New Testament. But what are we already learning about grace here in the Old Testament? Okay, the next section is remembering the gold calf. Remember and never forget how angry you made the Lord your God out in the wilderness. 
From the day you left Egypt until now, you have been constantly rebelling against him. Even at Mount Sinai, you made the Lord so angry, he was ready to destroy you. This happened when I was on the mountain receiving the tablets of stone inscribed with the words of the covenant that the Lord had made with you. I was there for 40 days and 40 nights, and all that time I ate no food and drank no water. The Lord gave me the two tablets on which God had written with his own finger all the words he had spoken to you from the heart of the fire when you were assembled at the mountain. At the end of the forty days and nights, the Lord handed me the two stone tablets inscribed with the words of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Get up, go down immediately, for the people you brought out of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted gold and made an idol for themselves. The Lord also said to me, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Leave me alone so I may destroy them and erase their name from under heaven. Then I will make a mighty nation of your descendants, a nation larger and more powerful than they are. So while the mountain was blazing with fire, I turned and came down, holding in my hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. There below me, I could see that you had sinned against the Lord your God. You had melted gold and made a calf idol for yourselves. How quickly you had turned away from the path the Lord has commanded you to follow. So I took the stone tablets and threw them to the ground, smashing them before your eyes. So pause there and think about this story and how quickly the Israelites abandoned God and created their, their own idol and started worshiping a false God. And think about the juxtaposition of what's going on on top of the mountain. On top of the mountain is one of the most sacred covenants being formed. And at the bottom of the mountain is one of the most perverse acts that could be happening. Think about this. God is literally telling Moses in the Ten Commandments that you are not to make idols. And what's going on right at the bottom of the mountain? And this is not to shame the Israelites. This is a question to look inward. Why is it so important to have a relationship with God daily, to spend time with him daily? If left to our own devices, how quickly will we turn and run the other way? How easy is it for us to turn and run the other way? Okay, let's go back to what's going on in this recap of the story of the golden calf. Verse 18, then as before, I threw myself down before the Lord for 40 days and nights. I ate no bread and drank no water because of the great sin you had committed by doing what the Lord hated, provoking him to anger. I feared that the furious anger of the Lord, which turned him against you, would drive him to destroy you. But again, he listened to me. The Lord was so angry with Aaron that he wanted to destroy him too. But I prayed for Aaron, and the Lord spared him. I took your sin, the calf you had made, and I melted it down in the fire and ground it into fine dust. Then I threw the dust into the stream that flows down the mountain. 
You also made the Lord angry at Taberamassa and Kibroth Hatavah, and at Kadesh Barnea. The Lord sent you out with this command Go up and take over the land I have given you. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to put your trust in him or obey him. Yes, you have been rebelling against the Lord as long as I have known you. That is why I threw myself down before the Lord for 40 days and nights, for the Lord said he would destroy you. I prayed to the Lord and said, O sovereign Lord, do not destroy them. They are your own people. They are your special possession whom you redeemed from Egypt by your mighty power and your strong hand. Please overlook the stubbornness and the awful sin of these people and remember instead your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you destroy these people, the Egyptians will say the Israelites died because the Lord wasn't able to bring them to the land he had promised to give them. Or they might say he destroyed them because he hated them. He deliberately took them into the wilderness to slaughter them. But they are your people and your special possession whom you brought out of Egypt by your great strength and powerful arm. Okay, so pause there. That's where we're stopping for today. But I want you to think about this final section. What does Moses do for the Israelites when he is on Mount Sinai after they have committed this grave sin? What does this show us about prayer and interceding for people in our lives? Is it important for us to remind God of the promises he's made? And why are we doing this? Has God forgotten the promises he's made? Or does God want us to do the work, to intercede, and to come to him with everything? With everything we need, everything we have, everything we desire, and work it out with him first. Okay, so that's where we're going to stop for today. The Israelites are going through a lot. They're being reminded of a lot. They are being prepared to enter the promised land. And that's another good thing to think on is how much work is going in to getting the Israelites to the promised land, just getting them there. And how can that reflect the amount of work it takes for us in our lives here on earth before we're ready to enter our promised land? And don't mistake what I'm saying because I'm not saying that it's the work that gets us there. What I'm saying is that relationship with God sparks our desire to work. Because we are living with him, with the spirit in us, we want to be changed and we want to be sanctified and we want to be made new. And we are made new. And because of our newness, we begin the work that God has set for us and that might be challenging and it might look different for every person who believes in God but God has work for all of us and time for us to complete it so I hope you'll join me next time as we keep going through this journey with the Israelites keep reaching out love getting your emails all our contact information and ways to support the show are in the description it is great reading with you guys in each episode and I hope that it continues bringing you closer to God and my prayer is that God speaks through his word into your life 
So stay strong and I will talk to you in the next one.